Well, good morning. Welcome to our worship service this Sunday. A special happy Father's Day to all my fellow dads out there. I hope that you are being treated right this morning and uh, enjoying your day. I think I heard a rumor that there are going to be chocolate bars handed out for the dads at the drive-in service, so uh, if you need incentive to stop by, there's one for you. Uh, I think there's also a rumor that uh, for those who don't make it, uh, they're going to be sent in the mail, but I think they're all going by my house, so if you don't get them, then you, uh, you know why. So, uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, a couple of announcements for you uh, to pass along as we begin. Uh, Adam Bryce will be sharing his testimony and be welcomed into our church membership today, also during the drive-in uh, church service. Uh, also, a couple of bridal showers to make you aware of next weekend. Uh, Taylor Arnitz will be on Saturday, June 26th from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Arnitz. And the bridal shower for Taylor Friesen will be on Sunday, June 27th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Aaron Park. So please take note of those. As always, for our tithes and offerings, you can give either by uh, putting a check in the mail and postmarking that to Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K1G0. Make all checks payable to the Clarny Mennonite Church. Or you can drop your, your offering off uh, in the church foyer in the offering box located there for you. Our call to worship today is taken from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today on this Father's Day that we come before you as our one perfect Father. And that, Lord, all of us lesser fathers, earthly fathers, who so often fall short, we fail, we sin. That, Lord, we come to you and know that you never fail, you never sin, there is not one speck of darkness in you. And so in you, we see a perfect example and all that we need. And so we come to you, Lord, with our, our request today as fathers, that you would strengthen us, Lord, that imperfect though we are, that through the work of your Son, our Lord Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, and that by his power at work in our lives, that we can begin to reflect you to our children, Lord, to reflect your heart and point our children to you, the perfect Father, and that, Lord, that we could represent you well and reflect you well as we, uh, as we raise our children. And so, Father, please help us today and give us much grace and strength as fathers in this great responsibility that you have entrusted to us. And so, Lord, in this regard, we also pray for our children, uh, both personally and as a church family. All those that you have entrusted to us, Lord, help us as, as parents, as teachers, as grandparents, as those who simply care for the, the health and well-being and spiritual well-being of our children, Lord, that we would pray for them, that we would encourage them, and that we would all do our part, as you would call us, to teach them and to raise them up in the grace and knowledge of you, and that as we are able, that we will commit ourselves uh, to doing that, Lord. And so we ask for, for that uh, on behalf of our children today. Lord, we also pray for our seniors, and we think especially of those who are in uh, Bayside. Uh, we pray, Lord, for them, be near to them, and we ask that uh, in their loneliness, be close to them. And Lord, that whatever their health needs are, please undertake for them and encourage them today. And we continue to pray for the day where we can uh, meet together with them 
in a much uh, more regular way than we're currently allowed. And so we ask for that, Lord. We pray as well for our sick and those who are dealing with various health issues, Lord. Would you provide a healing touch according to your will and the uh, perseverance they need to press on. We pray, Lord, for those in these days especially who are lonely, who are feeling isolated and cut off, Lord. We ask that you would also be near to them and bring encouragement today. And that, Lord, that as you would prompt us, that we could reach out to each other and, and provide a word of encouragement and friendship and so that no one, is, no one is left alone, Father, and no one is forgotten. And so we ask for that today. Lord, we're also mindful that there are many who have lost loved ones uh, in these past weeks and months to a wide variety of different reasons. And yet, Lord, the common thing is the same, that the, the loss of a loved one is always felt, and especially to those who are closest. And so we pray, Lord, for those who are grieving the loss of friends, of family, that you would be near to them and comfort them, and that you in time would wipe the tears from their eyes and give them hope and joy once more. Lord, we pray for our ministries that are sending out the gospel. We think especially of Turtle Mountain Bible Camp, and we ask, Lord, for provision on their behalf that the gospel could still go out this summer, and we do ask that somehow that the facilities at camp and the new chapel especially would be able to be put to use in this coming year. And so we, we pray for that as well and continue to guide Howard and Kathy. And I pray especially for their recruitment. Lord, uh, there's going to be leaders and staff needed. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bring uh, willing servants who would be used in that important ministry this summer. Lord, we also remember uh, Alyssa Peters and Lee Friesen who were just baptized this past week. We thank you again for providing uh, for that uh, special Sunday for them. And so, Lord, we think of them now in in the week following that, uh, as they have started out in this public journey of following you, that you would continue to strengthen them, protect them from the enemy, strengthen them for tests that will come, and that their faith in you will just continue to grow stronger and, and their witness grow brighter in the days and weeks ahead. Lord, today we think of Adam Bryce as he is preparing to share his testimony of your work in his life and to uh, formally join our church membership. And so we pray that you would bless him in that, Lord, and make him a blessing, Lord, as, as he joins us and as we join in fellowship one to another today. Lord, we continue to pray for our elected leaders and officials here in our land, especially in these days as important decisions continue to be made which affect us all. And so, Father, we pray that you would grant them much wisdom and help them to seek your face in the decisions that they make. And so in that, in that way, Lord, we pray for our entire nation of Canada. We ask for your mercy, Lord, on our land, and we ask, Lord, that you would still reign sovereign in, in the work and in the decisions and ultimately, Lord, in turning our hearts back to you and that, Father, you would yet show mercy to our nation of Canada. And finally, Lord, we pray for our church family as a whole. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to be with us in these times in which we find ourselves, help our strength to grow deeper and our witness to grow brighter so that others can come to know you as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we give you all glory and praise for this morning, for your word, we give you thanks, we love you, and we, we thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please take your Bibles now and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 1 for our scripture reading today. 1 Kings chapter 1, and there I will begin by reading verse 1, and then jumping ahead to verse 5, and then reading all the way through to verse 35. 1 Kings 1 and verse 1. When King David was old 
and well advanced in years. He could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. Verse 5. Now Adinijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adinijah conferred with Joab, son of Zariah, with Abathar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shammai and Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adinijah. Adinijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves at the stone of Zoheleth near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah who were royal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the special guard or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adinijah, the son of Haggith, has become king without our Lord David's knowing it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in to King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me your servant? Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne? Why then has Adinijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and confirm what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him. Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king. What is it you want? the king asked. She said to him, My lord, you yourself swore to me your servant by the Lord your God. Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adinijah has become king, and you, my lord the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and has invited all the king's son, Abathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon, your, serv- your servant. My lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord, the king, is laid to rest with his fathers, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and they told the king, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord the king, declared that Adinijah shall be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves, and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abathar the priest. Right now they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adinijah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting his servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath, As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, kneeling before the king, and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you, and set Solomon my son 
on my own mule and take him down in Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your word which is living and active. And that Lord, in these stories that took place long ago, they are still relevant and convey truth that is just as real for us today that we can learn from and apply to our lives. And so, Father, today I pray, speak through this word, speak through me, your servant. And Father, especially to all who are fathers listening today, would you open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, on April 16th, 2011, a baby boy named Declan Daniel Greening was born into this world. And in that moment, as I first laid eyes on his tiny body, I realized that my life had changed forever. For in that moment, I realized that I now bore the title of father. And I remember well when I first held him in my arms, my first feeling was a deep desire to protect him and to be a great father to him, to be the best father that I could possibly be. But that was quickly followed by the sobering realization and the awareness that no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much effort I put in, I could never be a perfect father. And therefore, inevitably, failures would come along the way. Now, as fathers, that type of reality and and awareness of our own weaknesses can be very discouraging, especially when they rear their ugly heads. And so I know that today on this Father's Day of 2021, that there may be just as many discouraged dads out there as there are dads who feel like they're on top of their dad game, so to speak. Because the fact is, there is only one perfect father, and it's not you. And it's also not me. God alone is the one perfect heavenly father. And therefore you and I as earthly fathers, we need to depend daily upon his help as we father our children. For though there is no such thing as a perfect father, at least an earthly one, there are such a thing as godly fathers. And so with our heavenly father's help, that is exactly the kind of dad, a godly dad, that you and I can be to our children with the one perfect father's help. Because the truth is that today, one of our world's greatest needs is for godly dads. Our world needs dads who will raise their children to know, love, and serve the Lord. Because sadly today, we see in our world today a void of this, and we see the consequences all around us as a result And so to to all my fellow dads out there today, I want to share with you some encouragement and some wisdom on what both to do and what not to do as we look at the example of King David, who though he was a mighty warrior, in many ways he was a very inconsistent father. Now to set the stage, uh, turn back with me to 1 Kings chapter 1 and there we read again verse 1. 
It says, Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Now here we see that clearly David is, is getting old. He's close to 70 years of age, and his health was growing poor. He can't warm up, and they didn't have those fancy plug-in jackets that we have today back then. In fact, no amount of clothing they put on him could warm him up. And then in verses 5 to 10, we learn that one of David's sons named Adinijah desired to take over the throne from David, and so he began to collude with Joab, the commander of David's army, along with some others, to pull off his scheme. However, the prophet Nathan became aware of Adinijah's plot, and he informs David's wife Bathsheba of it. Well, then Bathsheba, of course, had to go into King David and remind him directly of his oath to her that their son Solomon would become the next king of Israel. And it was only then, after being directly reminded and pushed in the right direction, that David finally, finally decides to keep his word, the oath that he had sworn, and he proceeds to pronounce Solomon as his rightful heir to the throne. And so the first lesson we learn here from David is this. Fathers must not delay in disciplining their children. Fathers must not delay in disciplining their children. Now David's regular failure to discipline his children is highlighted for us within this very passage back in verse 6 of 1 Kings chapter 1. There we read this interesting note from the author who says, of Adinijah, his father, that is David, his father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He had never rebuked him by asking, why are you acting this way? In other words, David was indulging Adinijah, and the, the editor also puts in the footnote that Adinijah was very handsome. And was born next after Absalom. So he's sort of a golden child, a son. He's good looking. He's talented. And, and clearly David indulged them and never rebuked them, never confronted bad behavior. And in so doing, David as a father sinned by omission, by not disciplining his son. The end result of this sin was that Adinijah became a spoiled and disobedient son who eventually grew into an entitled young man who had no qualms about hatching a conspiracy and plotting to cleverly take the throne away from his now elderly brother, snatch it away from his half-brother Solomon, and then likely in this plot, as they pointed out, had he succeeded, he would then have had Solomon, along with Bathsheba, put to death to make sure all the competition was eliminated. And so we see this chain of, of, of events being put into motion because of David's inability or unwillingness to discipline his son properly or to follow through on what he had sworn that he would do in putting Solomon on the throne. Again and again, we see him either delaying or withholding discipline altogether. And sadly, this was not the first time that David as a father had failed in this regard. If we go all the way back in his story to 2 Samuel, in chapter 13, there we see David once again neglect his responsibility to execute discipline when his own son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. And yet again, we see here an undisciplined child, that is Amnon, who had probably, much like Adinijah, grown up without his father's rebuke or correction, 
And he had become an evil young man who then did a terrible and heinous thing to his own sister. And the further result of David's abdication of the discipline of Amnon in the aftermath of what he had done was that then his other son, Absalom, became hardened and embittered towards his father because of his lack of justice on his sister Tamar's behalf. David did not defend her dignity or honor for what his other son had done to her. And so Absalom is filled with with a desire to seek vengeance on his sister's behalf. And so Absalom um, hatches a plot to get revenge on Amnon. And eventually he does so and he murders his brother, thereby fulfilling his vengeance on his sister's behalf. Having then murdered his brother, his, his brother, Absalom murdering Amnon, Absalom then flees his father's anger. Now, in the aftermath of all of this, David is left trying to pick up the pieces of this bomb that's been dropped in his family. He knows that he had failed to take decisive action with Amnon, but he also realized that if he simply forgave Absalom for killing Amnon, he would essentially be admitting his error. Nevertheless, he once again delayed, and he did not ban Absalom from the kingdom completely. So finally, as the story plays out, Absalom eventually returns into his father's presence. His father forgives him, and and there is some uh, amount of restoration that takes place. However, nothing is truly resolved, and it was simply swept under the rug as though it never happened. And we see that though Absalom said he was sorry and David forgave him, David went no further in addressing what was in Absalom's heart. Because his son's bitterness remained, it says, from that moment forward. And the result was that Absalom later on then led an open rebellion against his father and seized the throne by force, forcing David to actually flee from the capital city out into the wilderness. And he had to regather his troops, and then David's troops that remained loyal to him had to fight a battle, a civil war against Absalom's troops. Of course, David's army won, carried the day. Absalom fled in the aftermath of the battle. Joab gave pursuit, and when Absalom got caught up in a tree by his hair, Joab killed him. And so sadly, just like the priest Eli before him that we read about back in 1 Samuel, David likewise, just like Eli, knew about the evil actions and attitudes of his children, and yet he consistently neglected or delayed in rebuking, correcting, or disciplining them. And so the results and the consequences kept getting worse and worse. And quite simply, godly fathers must, must discipline their children, and sooner is always better than later, because it prevents much worse consequences. For a child left undisciplined, unrebuked for bad behavior and bad actions today, just like Absalom, Amnon, and Adinijah, they can grow up to become rebellious and later do even more terrible things. As Proverbs chapter 13 verse 24 states, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So you see, when a father is careful to discipline his child, to correct them, to rebuke them when necessary, he is actually showing love for that child. 
Now, in the moment to the child who's being disciplined, it doesn't feel or seem like love, but it is truly the most loving thing a father can do for a child is to discipline them. However, too often, I think fathers fail to discipline their children for a variety of reasons, and some of them are because they're simply afraid of receiving a bad reaction, that, that by disciplining, the kid's going to throw a temper tantrum or, or lash out, and, and so they're afraid of that, so they don't discipline. Sometimes they don't do it because they're afraid of being resented, because, oh, you disciplined me, now I don't like you. Or for that similar reason, sometimes it's because they desire to be their, their child's best buddy and they want to just be friends with them. And so they fail to discipline them. But fathers, listen. Your children will have many buddies and friends in their life. So they don't need you to be another buddy as much as they need you to be their father. Because, yes, they will have other friends but they will only ever have one dad. And your job, your responsibility as their dad is very specific, and it includes discipline. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't be friends with your kids, but as their father, your God-given responsibility as the head of the home and the primary authority over their lives when they are young is to correct and instruct them in life and in the ways of the Lord And this must come first. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs chapter 22 verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now of course discipline does not always require corporal punishment. So long as the punishment whatever is selected is effective in getting the child's attention. However, discipline always involves correction. The behavior, the action must be addressed and corrected. Fathers who fail to exercise biblically mandated authority to discipline their kids are sinning by their omission and thereby doing harm to their children and others through them in the years to come. And so we must also remember that when disciplining, we must exercise discipline in a responsible way. And we must aim to do so with the right attitude and not in anger. We don't want to be harsh or domineering in our discipline so as to provoke our children to resentment or to anger. As our call to worship today from Ephesians 6 verse 4 tells us, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, The impatient attitude and action of an overly harsh father or or a father who's always only disciplining out of anger, it can cause a child to become disheartened and resentful. But likewise, on the other end of the spectrum, the indulgent, negligent father who, who doesn't discipline at all will also provoke their children to anger and resentment through their lack of loving correction because children crave and desire boundaries and discipline, whether they realize it or not. And we see this in the case of Absalom and Amnon and Adinijah. They didn't know that they needed boundaries from their father. They needed his discipline. And in the absence of it, they were acting out in ways that they maybe weren't even aware of that in some way were seeking for their father to notice them and to correct them. And so there's both ends of the spectrum. We don't want to be on either one either failing to discipline or disciplining in a a harsh manner. 
We want, to, we want to discipline according to God's design, to do it respectfully, gently as possible, and yet firmly to make sure the child understands that a rebuke and correction was needed. And now finally, fathers must also discipline their children by dealing with the heart issue behind the action. Therefore, they must display both the displeasure and the mercy of God, always pointing the child towards the forgiveness and grace available to them at the cross of Jesus Christ. In this way, so much of a father's work isn't about behavior modification so much as it is heart modification. Because if we focus solely on behavior modification without addressing the sinful attitudes of the heart behind it, it will not bring about the lasting change that you desire. For remember that Amnon, Absalom, and Adinijah had rebellious hearts that David simply chose to ignore, and he never addressed them. It's kind of like the story of the little girl who stubbornly refused to obey her dad's instruction to come sit down at the supper table. And so finally the dad just gets up and picks his girl up and puts her down and sits her down on her chair. Well, the little girl then looked defiantly back at her dad and said, well, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. You see, it's often easier to to modify the outward behavior than to address the inward attitude that inspires it. And so in this regard as fathers, we must remember that it is every bit as important that we address and deal with what is in our children's hearts as it is with their outward behavior. So in David's repeated failures to neither discipline his children's outer behaviors nor deal with their hearts, we see it led to devastating consequences, including the rape of his own daughter and the deaths of two of his sons. So as Christian fathers today, may we learn from David's failures in this regard and redouble our personal commitment to this vital task of addressing and disciplining our children and tending to their hearts in the process. Now the second thing we can learn from David's example is that fathers must teach their children. Fathers must teach their children. Now, for all of David's failures to discipline his children, he was not entirely without merit, for he was still called a man after God's own heart. And he did, in fact, teach at least one of his sons, that is Solomon, the things of the Lord and how to follow in his ways. And so here we see from Solomon's own testimony a few key truths that we can learn. The first is that teaching should begin at an early age. Teaching should begin at an early age. In Proverbs 4, verses 3 and 4, King Solomon wrote this of his father. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and only and an only child of my mother, he taught me. And so here we see an example of something that David got right as a father by beginning to teach Solomon from a tender, early age. Now, one of my favorite TV shows that's no longer on the air, but I used to watch it all the time, is Duck Dynasty. And Duck Dynasty features the very redneck Robertson family who made their living designing and selling duck hunting calls. Now, on one episode, it was noted that Willie and Corey Robertson, 
their teenage children were, were very polite and respectful, and someone made mention of that to Willie. And in response, Willie made the very astute comment. He said, they didn't start out that way. We had to put in all the hard work when they were young, but now we're reaping the rewards when they're older. So parents, listen, put in the hard work with your kids when they're young, and you'll enjoy the benefits later on. Now that always stuck with me, and we've tried to follow that in our own parenting as well. Put in the hard work when they're young, and you'll enjoy the benefits later. You see, there is a time when the heart and spirit of a child is most open and pliable to your instruction and to your teaching, and that is when they are young. Therefore, teaching them what is right and beginning to form that good character in the early years is far easier than later on if they've been neglected until they're in their mid to late teen years and then you try to ingrain uh, good character uh, in them. It's so much harder because at that point, bad habits are ingrained more deeply and their hearts may be more closed to you. So it's never too early to begin. When it comes to teaching your children... Sooner is always better than later. The second thing about teaching our children is that fathers should teach their children to love and obey the Lord. David says to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, in his final charge to him as he made him king, he says, Now, my son, be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, a dad can teach his children many different things, many practical things in life, like how to ride a bike or tie your shoes or push a lawnmower. But the most important thing that a father can ever teach their child is to love the Lord, to know him, and to how, to how to obey him, and to follow him, and to serve him. In the New Testament, Paul tells this to fathers. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are many different strategies for doing this. But the two key principles to doing this well are always the same. I don't care what parenting book you read or seminar you, intend, you attend. There's always two keys to training our children up, to teaching them in the ways of the Lord. And the first one is this, be intentional. Be intentional. If you leave it only to chance and take the shotgun approach of, well, when we get around to it once in a while, it, it will always be hit or miss and will always lack in consistency. And so therefore, you have to decide to be intentional in your approach. And that simply means that you have a regular set schedule for things like we go to church, we go to Sunday school. Those are, those are just the regular intentional things you do for your children's spiritual formation. Further, there's things that you are intentional about at home, such as we're going to have one time set aside in the day for family devotion in which you engage your kids with the scripture that is age appropriate. Perhaps you use a, a curriculum of some sort Uh, You spend time in prayer. And let me tell you, our three-year-old is a dynamo when it comes to prayer. She prays longer than dad. And uh, everyone gets mentioned. But it's beautiful to hear 
when my three-year-old is praying. And so these are things that you have to cultivate intentionally. You can't just leave them to chance. Make a plan and then follow through and do it. Now, the second one is the counterpoint to the first. The first is be intentional. And the second is be spontaneous. Be spontaneous. This means in addition to the intentional set times for spiritual formation and teaching, this means that we don't leave talking about spiritual things or or miss opportunities for lessons only during the set times. But as Deuteronomy chapter 6 instructs us, talk about these things when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So what this is saying is be spontaneous. Talk about these things during the regular everyday course of your life. And all I can say from my own experience is that some of the very best spiritual conversations that I've had with my own children have come out of the clear blue at some of the most random times and places when a topic comes up, they ask me a question and it opens up a great teaching opportunity. So be spontaneous and try to make the most of those opportunities when they arise. And thirdly, when it comes to teaching our our children that we learn from David is this. Fathers set the example for their children. And they set that example whether for good or for bad. There's an old saying that often holds true, which goes, like father, like son. How often haven't we said that of father-son duos? Like father, like son. So consider in this regard where David set a very poor example. First, we know the infamous tale where he allowed his own lust and sexual desires to lead him to commit adultery with Bathsheba, even though at the time she was Uriah's wife wife and belonged to another. And so then we see, like father, like son, Amnon, much later also giving into his lust when he raped his half-sister Tamar. Then, second, we see David also quickly resorting to violence when we see him then having Uriah murdered to try to cover up his adultery. And later on, we see Absalom, like father, like son, also quickly resorting to violence by murdering Amnon to get his revenge. And then third, we also see David's greed because by taking Bathsheba to be his wife, when remember, he already had multiple wives, and, and here, was, here was Bathsheba, the one and only wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so in his greed for more, he took her, though she had rightfully belonged to another. And then again, we see Adinijah, just like father, like son, allowing his greed to, to drive him to try to take the throne from his father and snatch it away, though it rightfully belonged to his brother Solomon. And so here we see, in these ways, David did not set a good example for his children to follow, and sadly, they followed his bad example instead. And for this reason, we as fathers must endeavor to be what we desire our children to become. If we desire them to become something that we are not, what do they have to aim for? What are they going to shoot at? And therefore, we must strive to set the example personally for them that is worthy of being followed. There's a story about a little boy who was playing on a Sunday morning before church. And his dad was in his lounge chair reading the newspaper. 
And the father said to the son, son, get yourself ready for Sunday school. And the little boy asked, are you going to come with me today, daddy? The man replied, no, I'm not coming, but I want you to hurry up and get ready. The little boy then said, well, dad, did you used to go to Sunday school when you were a boy? I most certainly did, his dad yelled in reply. Now hurry the expletive up and get ready. And as the boy hung his head and walked away, he mumbled under his breath, Yeah, and I bet it won't do me any good either. You see, our kids are watching our faithfulness and the example we set, whether good or bad. For a child will follow what they see in their father's life as much as what they hear from their father's mouth. Quite simply, there should be no gap between a father's life and his doctrine. As in the example, if you tell your child that going to church and worshiping God is important, but then rarely go yourself, which message do you think speaks more loudly to your child? You see, a father must not only teach his children what to do, but he must then go further to show them what to do by the example he sets. Some of you may be familiar with the father and son story of Dick and Rick Hoyt. They became known simply as Team Hoyt. Rick was born in 1962 to Dick and Judy Hoyt, but as a result of oxygen deprivation to Rick's brain at the time of his birth, Rick was diagnosed as a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. As a result, his brain cannot send the correct messages to his muscles. Dick and Judy were advised to institutionalize Rick because there was no chance of him recovering, and little hope for Rick to ever live a, quote, normal life. But the parents refused to give up on their son, and they spent years fighting for him to have all the same opportunities as their other healthy children did. And so in the spring of 1977, Team Hoyt began when Rick asked his father if they could run in a race together to benefit a lacrosse player at his school who had become paralyzed. Now, there was just one problem. Dick was not a runner at all. He had never run in his life. He had never enjoyed it. And now he was 36 years old and somewhat overweight. But at his son's request, he was motivated. And so he decided that he could suck it up and that he would push his son's wheelchair the full five miles for the worthy cause. Well, it was sweaty and it was hard and he was foot sore and gasping for breath at the end of that five miles. But at the end of the race, Rick turned to his dad and said, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. Well, that spark set something off in Dick's heart. And from that moment on, he began to train. And even when his son was away at school, he would get out his wheelchair and put a bag of cement in to replace his weight. And he trained and he ran. And soon he lost that weight. He gained in fitness and they began to do races more and more together. And over the years, the father and son duo came to complete in marathons, triathlons, and road races around the world. But in 1992, it was time to take on a whole new challenge, one unique to them a 3,770-mile coast-to-coast trek across the continental United States. The journey took them 47 consecutive days, and it was a family affair to remember. They affectionately named it the Trek Across America. 
and it took news headlines around the world by storm. Now today, Dick Hoyt is the first to tell you that he is far from a perfect father. But his selfless example inspired not only his own son, not only his other children, but countless others around the world as well. Now, while your circumstances as a father today will likely look very different than Dick Hoyt's, may we all, like him, aim to set a good and selfless example to our children and for others to follow as well. Because remember, they are watching more what we do than listening to what we say. And so in closing, as we look at David's life, and we see in him a reflection of fathers today, a somewhat mixed bag of both good and bad, success and failure, and we can all identify with that. But remember that God never intended to make David our ultimate example of fatherhood. For David's failures simply show and highlight our need for the one perfect father, For God promised that this king he would send would be from David's line and would rule in righteousness, reflecting the perfect loving rule of his heavenly father. And this true son of David, Jesus Christ, he redeemed David's fatherhood and all fatherhood. And through his atoning death and resurrection, he alone leads us to our one true and perfect father, reconciling us to him. So that now under the new covenant of grace, Christian fathers, today we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to reflect God's fatherhood and Christ's loving rule towards our own children. And so that though there is only one perfect Heavenly Father, by His grace and power, God will still use us, imperfect fathers though we be, just as He still used David, to point our children to Himself and to usher them into a lifelong relationship with Him. And so to all my fellow dads out there, take time today to thank God for entrusting you with the awesome responsibility and privilege of being a father. And further ask him to give you more grace and strength and wisdom for the journey yet ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once more that in all your ways you are so perfect and loving towards us. We thank you that you delight in giving good gifts to us, your children. And one of those good gifts is to us, earthly fathers, who you know our failings and our flaws, and yet you delight in giving us your strength, your wisdom, and your love so that we can reflect you well to our children. That through our discipline, that through our teaching, and that through our example, we can in some way show you to them And that at some point they can see past us to you and say, I want to make him my father as well, the one perfect heavenly father, and put their faith in you and likewise go on to live this life of faith following you. And so help us today, we pray. Bless each one who feels discouraged. Give them encouragement that with your help they can do exactly what you have called them to do. And so we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, have a very happy Father's Day. Enjoy your day, and Lord willing, we'll see you again next week.